Well, welcome to this very first Rivercast podcast, a conversation which aims to look at the way water and watercourses play into our lives. Source to sea, from tiny streams to great estuaries, the sinuous journeys of water compelled by gravity, ultimately evaporating into cloud vapour, falling again as rain. The wondrous certainty of the water cycle. Rivers are both a blessing and a force for good, to man and nature, and occasionally a curse at times of flood, but essentially they are the lifeblood of the land. Over time we shall enjoy rivers and streets, waterways and lakes, great estuaries and tiny upland sources, and consider their many forms and influences on our lives. I might add that this and subsequent Rivercast podcasts is produced by Andrew White as part of his hugely popular Walks Around Britain TV series and productions. And a great thank you to you, Andrew, on that. Today, to discuss with me the advent of this podcast, I'm delighted to welcome a really good friend of mine, Ian Little, from Brunel University, London. Ian brings a love of walking and keen-eyed observation around Britain and the continent to this and many related topics of rivers and waterways. Indeed, I seem to remember you say your last book before lockdown was in Rotterdam. <laughs> Welcome, Ian. Well, thanks, Mark, for inviting me. As for lockdown, I know I'd rather be at Loch Doon, uh, <laughs> though not in Loch Doon. <laughs> Yes, I was at the Wandelbers Expo, the big walking and cycling expo in Utrecht at the end of February, and I had a free day. So I bought a slim volume of walks in the Rotterdam suburbs and tried out one in the northwest. Really good, but it was a cold morning. Well, we met about 42 years ago in the context of Offenstein, which seemed rather a long time ago. Since when you've been involved with many walking missions outside your working life, including writing walks for the Times newspaper, running an evening class on arts, craft and science of walking, reviewing books and guides, and have devised walking routes in London and elsewhere. Now, you have a dedicated online guide to walking in London. Could you explain that a little bit to us? I've lived in London for nearly 30 years now, and I knew that there were good walks to be had away from the honeypots. In fact, I'd walked some of them before I reached London, following late Bernard Levin's theme of walking the Thames, crossing every bridge as he came to it. Tower Bridge up to Hampton Court and back, a sort of sinuous run of the bridges. Absolutely fascinating, isn't it? Those bridges, they all had a significance. And when they were built, people probably walked over them more than they drove over them, perhaps. Of course, because it, it cost money to drive your cattle or to drive your horse and cart over the bridges. Yes, it is fascinating to think. Okay, we're moving back just at the moment. People are more are walking over them more than driving again. Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> Once I had established myself in London, I started to think about walking within the city and around the city. Uh, first of all, I thought of London cross trails because we have London cross rail being built at the moment. I really got fired up by creating a circuit which visited the summit of each London borough. Was it 32 of them, isn't there? There are 32 Sorry. boroughs across the city. Ah, 33. Uh, uh, you might say that makes 33, but in fact, Lewisham and Southwark share a summit. So there are ah, summits. Well. 
That's back to ninety two. That's my <laughs> Metropolitan Monroe bagging. <laughs> Metropolitan Monroe bagging. Well, that that's fascinating, isn't it? Uh, the water keeps falling down over London, but it's got thirty-two summits to fall from. <laughs> <laughs> so I wrote that up for some friends and decided that uh, I'd make it available to others. And when the uh, top-level domains for London became available, I managed to grab Lwox.London. Mm. And if if you Google Lwox.London, you should find my website. Fabulous. Well, I've seen it uh, and I've been absorbed in it. It's very compulsive. And if you're into walking on foot and finding green ways of any sort, they're there in, in such a multitude. But what captures my imagination and, and fascination is the sheer quality of the uh, research you put into it. And yet you seem to do it instinctively, which I find, well, it's quite unique. Oh, thank you. Um, it's just what I've picked up trifles all through my life. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I find it quite remarkable. So, London has been a great focus of yours. I know you love walking in the Midlands. Yes, uh, I spent some time by the River Sherborne. Ah, in Coventry. Right. Is there a Sherborne in Coventry? Well, oh, is what's it a tributary of the Lean? It runs uh, into the Sow and then into the Avon, the Warwickshire uh, Avon. Right, right. Mm -hmm. It's one of these half-hidden rivers. It's been culverted through the centre of Coventry, but the council are now opening up parts again to green the centre of the city. Well, that's a wise thing. Skip back to London a moment. I was thinking about the lost rivers in London, isn't there? Yes, when yes. Well, it's culverting. Culverting the, the fleet, of course. We, we know about Fleet Street and, and the like. Mm -hmm. Tyburn, uh, the Westbourne, which actually flows over the platforms at uh, Sloan Square tube station in a culvert. <laughs> the culvert <laughs> above the platforms. <laughs> so thing there. There's one, the Neckinger, in southeast London, uh, flows from the Imperial War Museum and comes out at St Saviour's Dock. Now, St Saviour's Dock is where Bill Sykes met his end in Oliver Twist. These are those really fascinating collections of people that people don't associate and rivers are sort of are like the veins and the artery of a great body and they are there you can't they're irresistible it's the gravity that flows through life yes it's fascinating well, i hope i have some levity as well as gravity <laughs> <laughs> yes now Ian, you you very very generously and i know you're a great enthusiast for detail uh, uh printed out for me <laughs> 18 sheets uh describing different rivers in britain does it include uh, era <laughs> southern ireland uh, no, but it does include the ban, which uh, separates the western half of Northern Ireland from the eastern half. Right, yes. This is the great thing about this uh, notion of river cast, is that there are rivers literally everywhere, and they've all got a story. And in fact, you have got a tremendous knowledge of like the Danube, uh, the Seine, the Rhine, and there are lots of people who know uh, a particular river somewhere in the world, uh, that has uh, a cultural or, or physical fascination and it's lovely to hear how people relate to them and I think you're a classic example of that. The Thames is something very significant to you, isn't it? Yeah, I mean I, I grew up on the banks of the Clyde. Ah, yes. It's not in England, it is in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's Strathclyde. I, I think, yes, uh, and, uh, 
where I live, of course, in North Cumbria, used to be for a time in Strathclyde. Right, yes. Uh, at the time of the doomsday, uh, Cumbria was not in the doomsday book because it was part of Scotland deemed to be. Yes. So uh, this, uh, it wasn't until the Congress or the uh, Peace of Emon that these draw, drew together. But anyway, this. There's so many bits of history. Athelstan. Now, this is th throws us back to our um, Mercian and uh, so forth connections with uh, the Anglo-Saxon period with Offa's Dyke. Uh, the different kings down the ages have claimed their territories. And very often, it is rivers that define those territories. Like Mercia, I suppose. With the Mersey, is that? Or what would you think? Uh, the, the Mersey was the boundary river, the Mersey. Yes. And uh, that was the boundary between Mercia and Northumbria. Fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, these are, and very often, river names harbour really our, our, our oldest language. Sometimes they evolve and change, like the little river that lived that, uh, from my early first 50 years of my life was the River Evenlode which was a tributary of the Thames in the Cotswolds, and, it, and yet the, its older name was the Bladen, uh, which is, of course, where William, uh, Winston Churchill was buried at the village of Bladen, and at the, near the source is Bladenton, uh, Bledington. So it's, uh, the name, these early names sometimes get transposed by another name for another reason, but this is, this is interesting how uh, rivers play into everybody's lives very often, very subtly. We don't know why, um, but we sometimes park our houses close to them or settlements, or we have to cross them with bridges or fords. So they, you can't avoid them. Uh, so you, Clyde, uh, and I noticed when I, I've been uh, looked at the map about the Clyde, the river that starts the Clyde is called, yes, the Clyde, but actually the stream that flows south from the, the source. Uh, I don't know which it goes into. It's called the Clyde as well because it just means the spring, I think, or something. Yeah. Actually, the name, the word. Yeah, the, the, that source is uh, uh, like Pumlamunavar. Uh, it's the source of three great rivers. Ah, yes. Because there's an old Scottish saying that says, Annan, Tweed, and Clyde all run out of one hillside. <laughs> there you and are. There's a wonderfully energetic walk that you can take from the Devil's Bathtub, and you can yes. visit the sources of all three in a day's walk. Yes, isn't that intriguing? Yeah, and there's lots of wind farms up there now. A lot of conifers. Absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> lots of wind to be had up there. <laughs> yes, it's captured. Worth worth catching. And uh, I, I remember doing years and years ago because I used to write articles for the Countryman magazine, and one of them, I, I, I visited the source of three rivers that you probably very well know near Daventry, at Badby, uh, which was the Sherwell, the Leem, and the Neen. Uh, and that was all within a five-mile little circuit. Uh, yeah. And each had its, uh, a, a community associated with it as well. Uh, and, and it was fascinating to do it because there was, uh, there was the, what is the A361, the, the road that runs all the way down to Biddeford, uh, a bit fragmented, broken in sequence, but actually as a route, um, it crosses over lots of rivers, but actually just there you've got these three significant like watershed of England rivers, all condensed. So it's not really high there, but it's sufficiently high 
uh, and yet many rivers uh, have much shorter lives. Do you know what the shortest river is in England? Go on, the Neckinger must be uh, close to it at about, uh, uh, about 3k. 3k! Oh my god, 3k! Oh my gosh, well that's that is short. Uh, well, <laughs> well I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking of the River Bane, which is, uh, comes from Semmer Water uh, and flows into the Ewer in Wensterdale. Uh, flip to the notion of lakes there, the Semmer Water there, is it one of these classic ones because you'll see it on the map. And, and it's all, all that survey have it as Semmer Water Lake, which is Sea Mere Water Lake. Four words that mean the same thing. <laughs> and you've got the people up in Wales, the tourists in Wales, who talk about the Pissifriader waterfall. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Three meaning the same thing. <laughs> yeah, well, and you can give it so like Church Downhill by Gloucester, yeah. <laughs> Hill, Hill, Hill. Yes, fascinating. Uh, and there are so many interesting things associated with rivers and watercourses and so forth. And some of them uh, harness the gravity to actually power the nation, like the uh, Manchester Ship Canal and things like that. Was, and then the Bridgewater Canal, all this sequence. And when I was born there, near a little village called Churchill, that's where William Smith was born, the father of English geology. There's a great Ulitic uh, monument in the village there to him. And he did the canal engineering around Bath. Uh, yeah. and noted that the Irish navvies who were doing the hard graft were spotting that the age of the rock and the clay varied in depth, and also you could measure the age of it. So he picked up this notion, and then he did a map of that area, and it's the first geological map around the Avon. And it's interesting, you can link this back to all these names that I first identified. Uh, geology of the land and how by creating waterways they were actually discovering things that hitherto hadn't been observed. Yeah it's interesting you talk about the Avon at Bath because in my random collection of possible rivers I'd actually sketched out a walk from Bath which took the canal round to the wonderful Dundas aqueduct and then over the hill past the university and back down into the city again so that was, that was my first thoughts. Who designed the Dundas Aqueduct? I, it was a Thomas Telford. I'm not sure. I'd need to no, research sorry. that one. Telford was the point to search it. Yes, think. which is a World Heritage Site all of its own. Indeed. <laughs> what is staggering by that? It's so high, so slender, and very few people lost their lives building it. Mm. For a one-off thing, to create something as fragile and vulnerable like that, it was quite a staggering thing. And that was just to supply water to the Shropshire Union Canal. Yeah, yeah. And there is a, there's several Union Canals, isn't there? Yeah, the Shropshire Union is, is like a, a river system of its own, coming from Newtown and Montgomery and uh, from uh, Middlewich. Uh, mm -hmm. Northland Arm and into Shrewsbury and that sort of thing. They all flow towards the Bridgewater Canal. Fascinating. Yes, and then we talk about the, the navigation in Birmingham. Oh, Birmingham navigation. Yeah, it's like a game of pinball by the water, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's the Venice of the Midlands. <laughs> it is, and, and it's being uh, cleaned up quite nicely now. This is the thing. Um, we, we are going through an age where cleaning up water is becoming ever more significant. And this relates to the way 
not only actual the rivers themselves are being looked after, but the land associated with it that flows into it. And this is becoming ever more a concentrated uh, endeavour because people are so aware of plastic. It's in the deep sea, it's everywhere, and it's flowed by the water and so forth. So it's stopping it at source is so important, isn't it? Yes, I mean, when you talk about the plastic, but there's also all the liquid pollution that has been poured into the rivers from industry, from agriculture for many, many years. And we're now, obviously, we, we now have alternatives to that in, in some really great places we can combine the history. I think Upper Clyde is a really good example. New Lanark, UNESCO site. That was Robert Owen and David Dale built a philanthropic village, an industrial village. And yes, it was paternalistic, even more so perhaps than Lever in Port Sunlight. But now, of course, we're not working the mills as mills in the way they were worked. We now have this great history beside the Great River. Mm. And I mean, you talked earlier about rivers being a connector. And mm-hmm. yes, they connect the people all the way up and down the rivers. But here we've got a real connection between the Clyde and the Severn. Yes. Robert Owen, who worked with David Dale on New Lanark, he was born in Newtown. Ah, yes. So there's that link. And yes. then, of course, He went over to the States and built places like Harmony and the like. And it's strangely, they didn't work as well in the States as they did in New Lanark. Ah, yes. I would say about lakes and rivers and so forth and canals. The classic one is a Caledonian canal through Loch Ness. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was Telford. (laughs) Yes, indeed. And that linked to oceans. Rather like the Suez Canal-linked oceans. <laughs> and don't forget the little 15-kilometre Crinan Canal. Oh, yes. The Crinan Canal links essentially the Clyde, uh, Loch Gulp, with the Atlantic, and it saved the little puffers all that time to go round the Mullican Tire. Quite. And uh, yes. you just need to look at uh, Neil Munro's Parahan details for that. Ah, yes. Lovely little stories of life on the puffers. <laughs> Quite. Before that sort of time, you had these little little isthmuses where, which were known as tarbots, yes. where you could you could drag a boat between one lock and the other through a little gap. One of the most devastating effects of having that tarbot was eight seventy A.D. Oh yeah, ah yes. And the Vikings came up the Clyde, and they wanted to attack Dumbarton, which was the fortress for the Clyde and the royal residence, but it was too impregnable on its rock on the Firth of Clyde. So they slipped up Loch Long and they did the portage over to Loch Lomond, sailed down Loch Lomond and attacked the button from behind. <laughs> so water played into that one. It, it goes into strategies of armies. It plays into all sorts. Uh, and lakes uh, like Windermere and Ullswater in the lakes were used to convey s- slate and stone and so forth. Some rivers are navigable and some are clearly not. And those that are not function in a different way. There's this fact that some rivers are called waters. In Scotland, you've got Ewes Water and Little Water, named after you, <laughs> which feed into the S. But in the Lake District, a water is a lake. I live in the North Pennines, and there are three little rivers here, which are known as waters. Croglin Water, 
new water and old water, which are tributaries of the gelt which flow into the earthing and into the Eden and into the Solway Firth. Now, the Solway Firth is a magical place, and I'd like to do a podcast on the Solway, just as I'd like to do one on the Wash oh, yes. and, and the Seven Estuary, because they, they draw rivers to them. I was just going to say, of course, the Thames Estuary as well. Uh, mm. and how far do we talk about the Thames Estuary as the Thames? Yeah, intriguing thought. Yes. A really, really interesting question. If you think about the, the, the sort of shipping dues, then it's the mouth of the Durrant is the beginning of the Thames going upstream. But if you look at the local authorities, the county boundaries actually cross the Thames as far down as Southend. So everything north of the middle of the water uh, at South End is part of Essex and everything south is part of Kent. Right. So really, is the Thames still there at South End? Yes, indeed. This is the, where, where, where the horns of the estuary end, as it were. And uh, the Thames path, where does that end? When it downstream? <laughs> well, the one end's fairly obvious. And, that, <laughs> and that's uh, up at Tarleton, <laughs> uh, near Thames. <laughs> But the, the the other end, when the National Trail was, was formed, it was to be the Thames Barrier. But it has edged further east as we go along. Woolwich decided it wanted to get into the act. And that was really sensible because of all the transport connections mm. there. And then Erith uh, Roads, that's a, a very industrial part of the Thames. Perhaps not great National Trail material, in a way it is, because it's part of the history of the Thames. But there starts the London Loop. I would take the uh, coal tax stone at the head of the Darent as a real end of the Thames walk from the source. It's, again, it's fairly accessible by public transport. You don't have to go very far inland to reach the railway at Slade Green or Dartford. Quite, absolutely. And when you think about other rivers, I was thinking about the time mentally that which when in Roman times, Ponsilius, so the Hadrian's uh, Bridge, which that's what Ponsilius means, Elias being the family name of Hadrian, uh, the river there was in many strands. And it was only in the Industrial Revolution was the River Tyne dredged to create yes. the great waterway it is today. And for Elzik, where Armstrong had his engineering works, and then downstream, Wall's End as a shipbuilding town. And there was this thing about Sunderland that uh, they call them Mackhams in Sunderland because they used to make the hulls uh, in Wall's End and then they dragged them round the coast down to Sunderland and they would make them. <laughs> you mentioned the Tyne, who's yeah. associated with the Tyne. You've got the Stevensons. Stevensons, yes, indeed. If you ask me about the Tyne, viewing it from the north, I would say John Muir. Of course, yes. yes. Non-mere father of the national parks, because he was born in Dunbar, and Dunbar is at the mouth of the Lothian Tyne. Yes, how intriguing, because the word Tyne means talking stream, uh, the stranded stream, yes. So there's lots of times, yes. There's lots of times. You mentioned the Eden, and I thought of that lovely walk beside the Eden from Edenbridge to Penhurst Place in Kent. <laughs> yes. <indeed. laughs> How many evens are there? How many cones? <laughs> and yes. it'd be lovely to, to link up and contrast the rivers. 
Yes, indeed. Because the old English word e, i, and the the frost of French o. What's it? The French oh. water. Yeah. Yes. So, and they all tend to float into names. You've got like the greeter uh, going through, uh, joining the Derwent in Keswick. And greeter is the Gravels River. Emont is another one where you tribute to Eden. And, uh, and that relates to um, a confluence. The actual name Emont means the meeting of two rivers. So that's the Lowther, the lathering water with the Emont that flows on through to the Eden. Uh, so you have these uh, intriguing descriptive names that we wouldn't necessarily know, just but they actually have a root. And it's interesting just to find what those roots are, because then very often you can locate a given spot from which the name derives. Because like the, the river Lowther, the lathering stream, relates to the effect of all that peaty moorland uh, flowing at spate, creating this lathering effect. Anyway, so we've got lots of water to think about in the future. We've had a nice little session there, Ian, and I would hope we get back to it. And I think what we'll try and do next time is to look at the Thames path in some respects, and perhaps in, in the city itself will be rather intriguing. I think there's a, an absolutely classic part of the Thames, and that is from Parliament to Wapping. Yes, well, that's a Wapping story in itself. <laughs> Most people would say Parliament to the Tower. But actually, taking it on that little bit extra brings you into the canal system, the warehouses east of the tower, and it brings in places like the hanging stairs where the pirates were hanged when they were found and brought back to the Thames. It's another area of the Thames I go back to time and again. I've done it on three of my walks. And it's just a short piece. It's about 5k, so 10k round trip. And it's from Walton Bridge, Walton on Thames, to Chartsey Bridge. That's upstream, that would be. Uh, that's upstream. And uh, there's some really nice land there. You've got some very interesting linkages there. Uh, you talked about the armies. Well, Walton on Thames is where Caesar was supposed to have crossed the river by Ford. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. I think it's more likely to have been Brentford, but I'm no historian. Going upstream from Walton, the first thing you meet is the Desborough Cut, which was cut during the 1930s, probably some sort of work experience job, but that helped the navigation also mitigated the flooding of the Thames in that area. But it's not just a straight line. At the other end of the line, you've got another piece, of it, and that is Doylecart Island. And that was Richard Doylecart, who um, was the impresario behind Gilbert and Sullivan's Savoy operas. Where's the Savoy? It's on the north bank of the Thames down in London. But then once you get beyond Doylecart Island, you've got the Shepperton Ferry. And that's really interesting. It's one of the few hail and ride ferries left on the Thames. If you arrive from the south, you ring a big brass bell to summon the ferryman. I'll summon the bell uh, at Shepparton Ferry uh, the next time we meet, Ian. And that's been fascinating as an intro to the whole notion of a river car. So I really enjoyed that. And I hope our listeners enjoyed it too. I'll summon you again soon. And thank you for your time. It's been wonderful. Thank you very much. Really enjoyed it. And I really look forward to exploring more rivers that I haven't seen yet. (laughs) 
was great fun. I, I always enjoy listening to Ian. He's got a great grasp of the history of a place and he'll love sharing it with us. And he's offered to explore a little bit more of London on the Thames. He loves walking by rivers and so forth. And uh, Westminster Bridge to Wapping may be a, an appealing little journey he might share with us. Or the Lost River, the Tyburn, the Boundary Stream, or even the Wandle, which comes into the Thames at Wandsworth. Anyways, we'll return to Ian shortly. I've got various other people I'd like to share on Rivercast. I'd like to look at estuaries, because I think they're always very significant, where a river meets the sea. So I've got somebody who really would love to talk about estuaries. And then rivers flow, certainly, but we intercept them. And historically, there are significant points. So I'm going to have a look at the River Tees at Pierce Bridge, just north of Scott's Corner, and look at the Roman Bridge there on Deer Street. I'm going to have a conversation with two archaeologists from the University of Reading who've been studying that particular site. So that'd be significant. That's the road from Eboracum to Coria, that is York to Corbridge. And uh, beyond that, well, I come from the Cotswolds, and one of the wonderful tributaries of the Thames is the Windrush. And an ancient ridgeway crosses the river at a lovely little market town called Burford. And that probably, that ridgeway goes back into the mists of time and perhaps was the access to Avebury and Stonehenge and that kind of thing. And the town itself is an exemplary Cotswold town so I'm looking forward to talking about that little town and its significant relationship with the river so henceforward we've got lots to look forward to on Rivercast and I look forward to sharing your company again in the near future thanks for listening <laughs>